things new in my life and I'm going to follow him whatever it takes I hope that you will too would you all stand with me and grab your Bibles as we dive into the word today if you're watching online welcome to triumph this morning I hope that you're experiencing God as we are here today I want you to grab your word and I want you to get ready to receive from him he's going to speak to your heart today he's going to speak to your life the power of God it's going to touch us here in the room today. It can touch you right where you are. You see, God isn't bound by four walls, but He can come right to you. He can enter your room, your hospital room, your office, your vehicle, your hotel room, wherever you may be. He can touch your life. I want you to get still and quiet. I want you to get ready to receive from God today. If you have your words, turn with me to John, the 11th chapter. We're going to begin in verse 1. John chapter 11, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'm on page 742. I don't know where you are. (laughs) Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Something interesting here. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, because he loved them, he stayed two more days. Lazarus is sick. Jesus has the power to heal him. But because he loves him, He doesn't. Wow. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here today. I ask that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Father, let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your son, Jesus. Do your will in this place today, O God. I thank you for it right now. And the people said, you may be seated. Today I want to bring some conclusion to a series that we began a few weeks ago, simply entitled, I Am. Jesus made seven statements where he said, I am something. I am this or I am that. Uh, I am uh, the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the light of the world. In these statements, he is first of all declaring to be God. And secondly, he is exposing something about himself, something about the Messiah, something about the Christ that can have a profound impact on our life if we know it. The Bible says you shall know the truth and this truth shall set you free. Before the truth can do us any good, we have to know what that truth is. 
And so we read statements from Jesus and we scratch the surface of what he's saying to us. But today I want to dive deep into two statements that Jesus makes. And I want to expose the full breadth of what he wants to do in our lives. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He visited their home on many occasions. He he found himself... In Bethany, it was one of his favorite places to retreat when he was in Jerusalem. It was just a couple of miles outside of the city. Bethany is a beautiful place. And he would visit there, and he would visit their home. He loved them. He was comfortable there. They were comfortable with him. But there's this unique thing that takes place. Lazarus is very ill. He's on the verge of dying, and yet Jesus doesn't come to him. How is it that Jesus the, the Bible says so he, he loved them so he didn't come? You know, there's a, a divine purpose in Jesus' delay. There was a reason that he didn't come right then. He could have dropped what he was doing. He could have ran there. He could have been there in, in less than a day. But he didn't. But rather, he delayed for two days on purpose. You know, as we walk through our lives and we ask Christ to do things for us, we ask Jesus to intervene in situations, we ask Him to do this or to do that. When He doesn't come exactly like we intended Him to, do we get frustrated with Jesus? Do we assume that He didn't hear us? Do we assume that He doesn't love us, that He doesn't care about our situation? When you read the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it'd be easy to assume that Jesus just didn't care. But as you read through the story... You find where the Bible says that Jesus wept. He groaned. Because he loved them very much. And yet, he didn't come. Because Jesus had a divine purpose. He had a divine plan. He wanted to do something bigger than just healing Lazarus. He had healed so many people, they couldn't even get them all into the first four Gospels. They only have a few of the miracles that Jesus did. Jesus did miracles day after day after day after day after day after day after day. Why didn't he just come and heal? Because Jesus needed to do something different. It was coming up on time for him to be arrested, to be uh, uh, taken to trial, to be sentenced, to be crucified, to die, and then rise, raise again from the grave. And so Jesus needed to do something different. You see, when God looks at your life and you ask him to do something for you, it's not that he's not coming through for you, but it's that he is looking at the bigger picture. Jesus said, my father is going to be glorified. The, the disciples thought, well, Lazarus is just sleeping. He's not dead. Jesus said, no, 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 understand something. Lazarus is dead. It's dead, it's over, it's done with. It is dead. But my Father's going to be glorified in this. I'm going to be glorified in this. There's a bigger purpose to this whole thing. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't see what Jesus was talking about. They couldn't have known what was happening. They might could have known, but they never could understand the, the, the fullness of what Jesus was saying when he talked about the cross, when he talked about dying, when he talked about going away. They just couldn't get it all. But Jesus knew what needed to happen. So he delayed. Don't curse God when he doesn't come through for you when you expect him to come through. But trust in him that he has a plan and he has a purpose for you. That the delay is not just to torture you, but the delay is so that God might be glorified in your life. I want you to look now at verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Jesus has waited a couple of days, now he's there. 
Lazarus has been dead for four days now. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha's response, very important. You'll you'll read right over it if you're not looking deep. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into this world. Mary, or excuse me, Martha makes a powerful response as she has this conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. He's dead, but he will rise again. And Martha says, yes, Jesus, I know that in the resurrection on that last day, he will rise again. Martha's response gives us a glimpse into her life, into her culture, into her beliefs. She is referring to, when she refers to the resurrection here, The resurrection at the last day, she is referring to a fundamental belief of traditional Judaism. It's a core belief of the Pharisees of her day that there would be a resurrection. It's very common. Most of the people in the world she lived, other than one group called the Sadducees, believed in this resurrection that God would resurrect the dead one day way in the future. It's still a core belief today. As a matter of fact, in the Middle Ages, one of the preeminent rabbis... Uh, in his commentary of the Mishnah, formulates what most Jews follow as the 13 principles of their faith. They summarize what are viewed as the required beliefs of Judaism. If you don't believe this, then you don't believe in Judaism. 13 things. The last one, the 13th and final one, reads like this. I'm going to put it on the screen for you so you can read, read it with me and understand what it's saying. I believe with perfect faith... That the dead will be brought back to life when God wills it to happen. In, in the Hebrew, in the Jewish culture, when you write out the word God referring to Jehovah, you don't actually, you put a dash instead of, of zero as a means of honoring him. So, I believe that with perfect faith that the dead will be brought back to life when God wills it to happen. So here is a core fundamental belief of Judaism. That there will be a resurrection one day in the future when God, when Jehovah, when Jehovah uh, desires that it will happen. Going back even further than that, in the 5th century B.C., uh, the men of the great assembly composed a prayer known as the Amidah, or the 18. Because it refers to the 18 original blessings that this prayer contained. This prayer was and still is central to Judaism as it is prayed three times a day and even on the Sabbath. So you think about that. They pray this prayer 19 times a week, this Amidah. It's the most important prayer. It's often been called in Judaism the prayer because it's a centerpiece of of Jewish religion and Jewish culture. This was a prayer that, that Martha would have prayed three times a day all of her life and once on the Sabbath. She would have prayed this prayer. She would have known it. She would have believed it. She would have spoken it. I want to read to you the second blessing or the second piece of that prayer. You, O Lord, are mighty forever. You are the reviver of the dead. You are greatly able to save. You sustain the living in loving kindness. You revive the dead with great compassion. 
You support the falling, heal the sick, set free the bound, and keep faith with those who sleep in the dust. Who is like you, O master of mighty deeds? Who compares to you a king who puts to death and restores to life and brings forth salvation? And you are faithful to revive the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who revives the dead. Guys, I want you to get Isaiah chapter 61, the whole chapter, ready for me. I want to read a couple of verses from it in just a second. Here's what I want you to think about. As Martha is responding to Jesus, she thinks that Jesus is referring to what she's prayed three times today, that somewhere in the future, there will be a resurrection from the dead. Somewhere afar off, my brother will rise again. Jesus, I have faith and I believe that. But Jesus says something to her that changes everything. Here's his statement. I am the resurrection and the life. With this as a backdrop, he says, I am the reviver of the dead. I am the one who sets free those that are bound. I am everything that you've been praying for, everything that you've been believing about God. I am that. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Are you ready, guys? The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me, speaking of Jesus, speaking of the Messiah. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim proclaim liberty to the captives, and and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Does this sound familiar to you? The prayer that they prayed, the prophetic word that was spoken of the Messiah, this is what Jesus is saying. Guys, everything that you believed in the future, everything that you're hoping for, all that resurrection power that's way out there in advance somewhere, that's way out there in some unforeseeable uh, distance, uh, a date that I don't know and I'll never know, Jesus is saying, yes, that's going to happen, but what you need to understand today is, I am the resurrection, and therefore, the same power that will be there on that day when the dead in Christ will rise, on the same, th- the same power that is there, is here with you today. Jesus brought the power of the resurrection out of the future, and he brought it into the present. This is what he did for you and I. He said, listen, here's what you have to understand. I want to resurrect dead things all the time. I don't want to have to wait on something in the future. I'm going to resurrect Lazarus today. I'm going to resurrect your dream today. I'm going to resurrect your marriage today. I'm going to resurrect your finances today. I'm going to resurrect your business today. I'm going to resurrect your relationship with your son today. I'm going to re- I can do it today. I don't have to wait for some time in the future. The power of the resurrection is available today. Wow, what a statement that Jesus makes when we recognize the impact. He has the ability to save. He said, I I give life to the living and I sustain them. I support the falling. I heal the sick. I I set free the bound. I put to death and restore life and bring salvation. I am faithful. I am the resurrection. This is hard to contain in, in her mind as she's looking at what Jesus is saying, and she's thinking about how she's prayed this prayer all of her life. Three times a day, she's prayed this prayer over and over and over again. And Jesus is saying, I am that person. Wow, what a moment. 
You know, Martha gets a bad rap for, uh, for doing the dishes instead of being with Jesus. When you remember the story of, of Mary and Martha and how Martha, uh, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was off cleaning and doing the dishes and she says to Jesus, would you tell Mary to come help me? And Jesus instead rebukes Martha and says, no, 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 you should come and do what Mary is doing. You should come and worship me. You should come and be with me. You should come and be in my presence. And Martha often gets a bad rap because of this. She often looked like the sister who doesn't really love Jesus that much and who is kind of the, the, the lesser of the two sisters. How many of you have ever thought of Martha that way? Yeah, none of you are going to raise your hand right now. You know that's a trick question. But the truth is Martha was a woman of faith. Hear what Martha says. Martha says, Jesus, if you had just been here, you could heal my brother. Jesus, you have the power to heal. Jesus, you could have just touched him like you've touched so many others, and he would have gotten up out of that bed and everything would be okay. My brother would still be here today if you just could have made it. Whatever you go ask of God, God will give you. She believed in Jesus. She was a woman of profound faith. But Mary's faith had a slight problem. I want to show you something to try to illustrate this to you. Imagine with me, if you will, if this box represents Martha's perception of Jesus' power. This box represents Martha's perception of Jesus' power. Now, here's the thing. That's a pretty good-sized box. She had seen God do some unreal things in her life. She had seen him have power over sickness. She had seen him have power over disease and heal all types of people. That's why she could say, Jesus, I know if you had been here, you would have had the power to heal my brother. That fit inside of the perception, the context, the the box that she had made of Jesus' power. Well, she believed uh, that Jesus had the power over man's afflictions. She had seen him heal the blind. She had seen him heal leprosy. She had seen him open deaf ears. She had seen uh, him grab the lame man and have him stand and begin to walk and dance and celebrate. She believed that Jesus could heal human afflictions. He had power over that. You see, that fit into her perception of how much power Jesus had. She believed that Jesus had power over nature. She remembered how the disciples told her the story. They were on the boat and the storm was raging and the boat was about to sink and Jesus stepped up and he wiped some sleep out of his eyes and he looks up and he says, Peace, be still. And the waves calmed and the winds calmed and the rain ceased and they were safe. She believed that Jesus had power over nature. She believed that Jesus had power over time and space. You may remember in John the 6th chapter, as the disciples are out in the middle of the lake and they're fighting a terrible storm and Jesus comes walking up on the water. And then the Bible says that he gets in the boat with them. Now remember, they are in the middle of the lake. Seven miles wide, they're halfway across. They're three and a half miles from shore. And the Bible says that when Jesus got into the lake, calmed the seas, immediately they were on the other side. Somehow Jesus had power over time and space and he caused them to jump from the middle of the lake 
to the dock just that fast, immediately. She believed that Jesus had power over time and space. She believed that Jesus had power over evil. She had seen the demoniac come running and people uh, scared and fleeing and, and, and worried and, oh man, what is Jesus going to do with this? And she had seen him cast the demons out of this man. How see him, seen him be totally set free. She believed that Jesus had power over evil. All this fit inside the context of her box. She believed that Jesus had the power to provide. She remembered when Jesus took a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish and he multiplied it and fed thousands. She said, Jesus, you have the power to multiply. You have the power to provide. But here's the problem. All this power fit into Mary's perception. He had power over all these things. She could, she could get that. But here's her problem. There's another box. She didn't believe that Jesus really had power over death. You see, it wouldn't fit into the context, into the, into the limitations that she had put on Jesus. She loved Jesus. She believed he was the Christ. She believed he was powerful. But she couldn't figure out how Jesus could get power over death her brother was dead Jesus he is gone it won't work it's too big to fit in my box and she was limiting God my question for you today is do you have Jesus in a box you believe he can do this. You believe he might can heal. You believe he might can uh, provide a financial miracle. You believe he might could uh, save someone. But now there are things in your life that he just can't do. They're too big for him. Are you putting limitations on God? You see, God's power is limitless. The grave couldn't stop him, couldn't hold him. Couldn't hold Lazarus. No, no, no. There's nothing in your life that is too much for God. Because even though it's dead, looks dead, appears dead, with just one word, Jesus can speak to it and say, come forth. And life will shoot into that thing. Life will shoot into that situation. Life will shoot into that relationship. Life will shoot into that business. Because it can't help it because that's how much power Jesus has. But if you don't believe it, you can limit God. From doing the miraculous in your life. So what do we have to do? We don't. You know some say. Well we need a bigger box. We just, we just need to get a bigger box. But I declare. That we just need to get rid of the box. And we need to take, take the limitations. Off of Jesus. I don't want to put Jesus in a box in my life. I don't want him to be bound to what I can fathom he can do. But I want to say God whatever you will you do that. I don't understand it. My brother's been dead for four days, Jesus, but you're here now, so whatever you want to do. Oh, you want to be raised from the dead? Go for it. That's the way I want to live my life. Mary, Martha, she, she had faith. She's got, okay, yes, I believe, but, but then something happens. Because now Jesus goes to the tomb, 
And he says, roll the stone away. Now it goes from the moment where, where Mary has to decide, okay, I believe in Christ. I believe that in this resurrection thing. I don't fully get it. But will I put that faith into action and allow them to roll the tomb away? Martha's faith ran just a little short. She said these words, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. He's going to stink. Let's not open that tomb, Jesus. I mean, do what you need to do, but let's just not open that tomb because it's not going to smell nice. I have, uh, up until just here recently, I, I looked again last night. I actually... I have, um, if you search Randon Clark on YouTube, you're going to pull up two videos. Um, the second one was apparently just added here a couple months ago, a few months ago. But for a long time, I had one video on YouTube when you searched my name. It's very embarrassing for me. I'm going to tell you the story of it, though. Is that okay? You're all going to go home in YouTube. And you're all going to watch it. I know you are. I thought about showing it to you today, and then I thought, no, I can't handle that. You have to watch it on your own. A few years ago, I went to my father-in-law's church in Waxahachie to celebrate their uh, anniversary of their being there at that church, and he gave me one job to do, one job. He didn't give me a bunch. He gave me one job. It was a very important job. My role was to take his car, his, little, his, little, uh, his wife's Cadillac, and uh, drive to Dallas to the airport and pick up the guest speaker who is a friend of this house, uh, John Ragsdale, and bring him back to Waxahachie, get him to his hotel, get him fed, and get him to his hotel on time and safely. That's all I had to do. I pick him up, no problem. The directions they gave me for, to, the, to the airport, totally wrong, no problem. I got there anyway. I pick up John. I, I get his stuff loaded. Man, I'm taking care of him. I, I'm, we're talking. I'm hosting him to the best of my ability. I'm celebrating all the things that God has done in his life and his ministry. Man, it's, everything is going great. I, I take him to get some food. He's so happy. He loved the food. He's smiling. He's laughing. I'm like, man, I've got this. And just as I almost make it into Waxahachie, just a mile or so away from the exit, my car starts to... I ran out of gas. And you know, you know how it is if you've ever run out of gas and you don't want to be embarrassed. You're like, what is going on with this car? You know you're out of gas. What is the matter with this? Let's see, this is why you can't buy GM cars right here. Should have had a Ford. I mean, this was a crazy car, stupid car. No, I ran slap out of the gas, pull over onto the side of the highway. And as I'm getting out, you know, you're looking at the engine as if that's the problem. You're like, what is going on? You know, John, I look over, and he has his camera out, and he's videotaping the whole thing. And he's like, I'm standing here on the side of I-35, and I'm here with Pastor Randon Clark, and we're here for this. And you can, go on, you can go on YouTube, and you can watch, and he tells the whole story, and I'm like, man, get that out of my face. Don't blame that on me. You know, that silly car, it had told me it had 50 miles left. The little light came on and says, you have 50 miles to empty. And I said, John, we got 50 miles to empty. Do you need to get to the hotel quick or can I stop and grab some gas? No, 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 man, we're good. That thing lied to me. I was only 12 miles from the, ho the hotel. No, it lied to me, man. I concur. I stand here in the house of God and say, that thing is a liar. 
So here I am on the side of the road. Now what do I do? So, you know, I hadn't been married very long at this point. So I have to do the worst thing imaginable. I have to call my father-in-law to bail me out. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You don't want to make that phone call. (laughs) There's a lot of people in your life you might want to call, but you don't want to call your father-in-law to bail you out on the side of the road. I pick up the call. Um, um, Pastor Jerry, hey, bud, y'all get to the hotel? Well, we're somewhere. (laughs) So he comes, and you'll see on the video. You go YouTube, and you'll see, and here's... They bring my mother-in-law. They bring my father-in-law. They bring the other guest speaker. There's a whole crew. And here I am putting gas in. (laughs) Torture. Torture. I was so embarrassed. I think my father-in-law was about half uh, angry and embarrassed. And about half he was just dying laughing at me. Because I almost had enough to make it and see this thing through. But I ran out just short. I could peer down the highway and see the Waxahachie exit. I was almost there. And yet I didn't make it. Martha's day went something just similar to that. She almost had enough faith. But she said, Jesus, he's been dead four days. Don't open the tomb. We can't make it. She ran out of gas. Her faith didn't make it. But here is... The goodness of Jesus. Just like my father-in-law showed up that day and he encouraged me with a little gasoline. And, of course, he made me pour it in and all those things. But just like that, Jesus comes to her and says, Martha, I know it's been four days. But remember when I promised you that the Father would be glorified and that I am the resurrection and the life? I know your faith is running a little short today. But just be encouraged and let me do what I do. Roll the stone away. And the men rolled away the stone. And Jesus stands up with power and authority. So much power and authority. He, He speaks these words. Lazarus, come forth. And suddenly Lazarus, still bound... In his hands and his feet and around his head, he comes hobbling or hop. I don't know how he got out of the tomb. The man couldn't walk. Everything was tied up on him. But somehow he gets out of the tomb. The people are astonished. Some are shouting. Some are going crazy. Some are wondering, what in the world just happened? Did I just see that? So much power and authority Jesus spoke with that theologians tell us that if he had just said the words, come forth, he would have emptied the graveyard. He had to get specific, and he had to say, Lazarus, I'm calling on you. Come out. You know, it's important in your life, as you want the resurrection power of Jesus to get involved in your situation, that you declare exactly what you want him to do for you, that you declare exactly what situation you want him to get involved in. Get specific with God. It's okay to say to him, Lord Jesus, my marriage is failing. Would you please get involved in this situation? It's okay to say, Lord, my business has gone down the tube. Some of it was the economy. Some of it was my fault. Some of it was an employee that stole from me, whatever it might have been. But Jesus, it looks dead. Speak life. Get specific with God and call things that are dead back to life. Resurrection power. 
Nothing is too big for God. Nothing is too strong for God. Nothing is too much for Him. He can do it all. He can look at anything that's going on and He can call it back. As a matter of fact, He may be waiting for it to die. He may be waiting for it to fall in the ground. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, unless a seed falls into the ground alone and dies, it's alone. But if it falls into the ground and if it dies, it comes and bears much fruit. That seed when you bury it in the ground, grows into a tree. Jesus, what kind of fruit did you allowing Lazarus to die? Have, what, what kind of fruit was born? The Bible says that on that day, as many were gathered around the tomb, they came running to be with Mary and Martha as they were mourning and grieving. The Bible says that many believed on him in that day. Somehow, Lazarus' death caused people to believe. But it was more than that. Because while Jesus was giving life to Lazarus, this issue caused the religious leaders to be so upset with him, they determined on that day, we've got to kill the man. But as we know, when Jesus died and was rose and risen from the grave, he brought life to all mankind. Lazarus died, and when his seed went into the ground, and he rose again, the fruit that was born put into history a course of events that resulted in you and I finding salvation. Wow. So we look back at that statement that Jesus made. He loved them very much. So he waited two more days because he had a big picture in mind. He said, I, I've got to do some things so I can bring salvation to the world. So I can bring resurrection power, not just to this day, but to everyone who follows after me from here on out. That's what Jesus was thinking about. I want to close with our final statement that Jesus makes, our final I am statement. In John the 14th chapter, the first verse, John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. But Thomas is confused and he says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm about to die. Then I'm going to be resurrected. And I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. I'm going to be in heaven. I'm preparing a place for you. I want you to come and be with me. How do we get there, Jesus? You get there through me because I'm the way. When the Bible speaks about the way, it's referring to a path, a way of walking, a, a, a way to get there, a, a way through the woods. There, there's all kind of confusion around you, but if you can see the way through, you can get to the other side. This is what Jesus is saying. I am the path that leads you 
to life more abundantly. There is no other way. There's no other way to get there. There's a common perception and a common belief uh, that is very prevalent in the world today that basically says, you do it your way, and I'll do it my way, and as long as we both do it with sincerity, we'll end up at the same place. The problem is, if you believe the Word of God, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you read, you think about that in, con- in context of John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, no one comes to the Father except through me. Then you can't buy into this concept, this belief, this lie that everyone gets to Jesus the same. Everyone gets to heaven the same way. You can go through Buddha. You can go through Muhammad. You can go through this way or that way. You can go through Scientology. No, you just simply can't if you believe the Word of God. Jesus makes a bold statement here. I am the way. You can't get there based off your works. You can do everything perfectly. You can do everything just right, but it won't get you there. The only way is through relationship with me. You can't buy your way into heaven. Your riches and your wealth won't take you there. You can't get, save enough money and give enough money and, and, and give to the right place, the right organization to get you to heaven. No, the only way you can get there is through the cross. It's to allow your sin to be hung on that cross with Jesus and His blood to cover everything in your life. Allow Him to live in you and you in Him. Christianity gets a rap for being very intolerant. And in its nature, it is. I can't change that. This is the words of Jesus. I didn't say them. It's very core. This is the only way. There is no other way. You have to go through Jesus. Yeah, but that's, you know, Jesus loved everybody and God loves everybody. And wouldn't he want us to save us all these different ways? No, 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 no. There is only one way and it's this way. But the thing about Christianity is, and the thing about Jesus is, he set this deal up where while it may be exclusive, and the only way to get to heaven, the only way to get to the Father is through the Son, and it is exclusive in that way, it's also inclusive. Because Jesus died for all mankind. And he said, my arms are open wide. All you've got to do is call on my name. All you've got to do is believe in me. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're young or old. I don't care what color you are. I don't care if you have money or don't have money. I don't care if you're a sinner. I don't care if you're a saint. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. All you've got to do is call on my name. So while Christianity is exclusive, it is also Inclusive, with all arms open wide, gathering all who will come. On that day, Jesus made a very bold statement. You can dig for deeper meaning and deeper truth in this statement. You can try to um, retranslate it from the Greek or something like that, and you can try to come up with another way of saying that let's allow something else to happen, allows it to mean something that Jesus wasn't saying, but here's the truth. There's no other way to retranslate it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can try every way in the world. You won't get there except through him. It was a bold statement. It separated everything. It changed the course of the world. 
He is the only way. Believe on Him. Every day in your life, you make a statement in response to the statement that Jesus made. You decide to either be in relationship with Him, to live a life according to His principles, according to His Word, and follow the way. Or you make a decision to turn away from Him and say, no, I'm going to try a different route. Your decision to be in covenant with Him, your decision to walk with Him, your decision to live for Him, your decision to be in relationship with Him, all these things, they're speaking something. You can say yes, or you can say no. By not answering, your answer is no. We make a statement to ourselves. We make a statement to God. We make a statement to our family. No, I'm not trusting and believing in Him. Today, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Say yes to the way. I I want to make it to heaven, but I'm coming to the cross, Jesus. And I want to make a decision to live for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, both in this room and at home, I want you to look at your life and ask yourself this question. What statement have I been making? Have I said, yes, I'm going to be a part of the way. Yes, I will be in relationship with the king. Yes, I'm going to go to the cross. Yes, I'm going to be in relationship with Jesus. Or are you saying, no, it can wait. It doesn't have to be today. Are you saying, I'm not ready for that. I don't know if I believe. Or maybe you're saying, well, I I do believe it. I just fell away. I just couldn't stay connected. I, I got disconnected. I got off busy living my life and doing my thing and I, and I just need to get reconnected today. It's on you. I can't answer it for you. The person next to you can't answer it for you. You have to answer for yourself. Will Jesus be my way?